The Boarding Pass is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Winnipeg Jets ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks those prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The app is simple, it's quick, it's easy to navigate, so head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Blake Wheeler started today by letting everybody know we have no idea the amount of consternation that there has been at the end of every day he goes home and processes every different twist and turn that the Winnipeg Jets have gone through this season and there have been more just this week starting with Brian Little taking just a unfortunate almost cartoonishly awful circumstance with the injury taking a shot off of Nick Ehlers from the point and and going off uh, you've got Ken Weeb and Murata Tesh here at the boarding pass this week Ken let's start it off with the Brian Little injury what do you what do you know what do we got yeah it's just a scary moment Murata I mean that that's the worst sound in hockey that sound of puck on flesh and Next thing you know, Brian Little is down on the ice and there's blood coming out. It's just a scary moment for everyone involved, whether it's the guy who shot the puck, Nikolai Ehlers, who talked about how horrible he felt uh, hitting a teammate. Obviously, it's an accidental play, and he's happy that Brian Little is feeling better, but uh, it sounds like there's an issue with his eardrum. we got some vertigo happening. Uh, he's going to have to go through concussion protocol. Uh, all in all, it seems as though Brian Little is in good spirits from what the coach has said, from what some of his teammates have said, but uh, you got to think it's going to be a long, longer-term kind of injury. No timeline, but obviously the most important thing is Brian Little's health, but for a guy who's been battling so many injuries, I mean, it's just another unfortunate circumstance for, for the Jets. But, I mean, long-term, it sounds like his prognosis is positive, but... Uh, what that means for the Jets in the short term is that they're once again down one of their top six centers. And um, an interesting turn of events is Blake Wheeler has been asked to move to the middle. Uh, curious for your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I got to go back and talk the sound. You could hear it in the press box uh, off the ear protector or what have you on the side of his helmet. I don't know if it hit flat or what. Um, and then Nick Ehlers today talking to us was... You, you can tell he's an emotional guy. You can tell that he's a sensitive person who wo- who wore that on his sleeve. And when he says that his heart sort of like went out to him, it did. And it's it's so clear. Blake Wheeler, I am same same thing. Good friends with Brian Little. He said that he had updates pretty soon after the game because his wife uh, and and Brian's wife were texting and, and and sort of sharing updates. But Wheeler now after kind of a struggle to start the season and sometimes being uh, just one step behind or or missing passes in my opinion and uh, not really generating a whole lot so far now has to take such an important position he's going to be the second line center Um, he's done it before Winnipeg won a lot of games and to even pull up the stats the the line with whenever Blake Wheeler was at center they they outscored their opposition they didn't spend that much more time in the offensive zone though they were out 
shot metric. They just got tremendous goaltending from Connor Hellebuck and tremendous finishing from Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine, and, and Nick Gillers to a certain degree uh, at that time as well. So they won, which must feel good for Paul Maurice to go back to this look, but they didn't dominate shot metrics. And Blake Wheeler has, in my opinion, struggled to start the season. So what we get out of this situation, I think, is make or break for the Jets. It's, it's about character and it's about finding a way because even if he were still the number one right winger alongside Mark Scheifele right now, I think there's still questions about his game, eh, Ken? Yeah, I mean, the thing with Wheeler for me, I've always sort of been against the move in the big picture because the Jets were taking an elite right winger and moving him into a position where he was, yes, he was above average, but... I don't think you could sort of correlate the numbers between what he was producing, especially offensively as a right winger. But now, as he hasn't been playing maybe as well at 5-on-5, five five, I think it's a great time to try him at center uh, because Blake is a great skater. He has vision. He's very strong down low, has a big body. All of those things would lead you to believe that he could be an effective center, and he was an effective center at the time when he subbed in, but he wasn't as productive offensively. But at a time when maybe Wheeler isn't at a a point-of-game-plus player right now, maybe it can help get him going because he'll get more touches. And the other argument that I would make, it's not a a knock against the metrics, but I think that Connor, Liney, and Ehlers would all be more advanced as players than they were two years ago. I think one of the reasons why Blake wasn't as offensive at that time and maybe the metrics weren't as good is because he had a lot of young wingers trying to find their way. Now, for me, I think those players are more suited and more able to maybe change some of those metrics as well right now. But, I mean, the biggest thing for Blake will be the defensive responsibilities, which I think he can handle because of his size and his smarts and all those other things. I mean, until last year, Blake was quite effective as a as a defensive player in a lot of ways, even with the metrics on his side. So there was a bit of a decline last year at 5-on-5 five five for that unit. And right now they weren't meshing even offensively the way we've been used to seeing. So the timing was right to split up Wheeler and Shifley, I think. I thought that Paul Maurice might be more apt to go with Jack Roslevic in the middle in this situation and scenario because of how confidently he's playing right now. But I think the reason why he's gone to Wheeler is because Roslevic is so comfortable on the wing and playing with so much more confidence with his cutbacks and all those things that... He doesn't want him to feel the extra responsibility of going to the middle, whereas Wheeler can handle the responsibility a little more. I mean, there's a lot going on there. It will sound ridiculous, but Blake looked like he had a little extra spring in his step today. And I don't know if that's specifically to the position change, but I think he knows how important it is. As you mentioned, in order for the Jets to survive this latest piece of adversity, that overused word... He's going to need to play at an above-average to dominant level. And I think the same goes for Mark Shifley, as he has a a couple of new guys on his flank. I mean, yes, he's played with Connor before, but it's a huge opportunity for a lot of of the pieces in the top six. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out for me. Yeah, I I agree with you. There was an extra kick in his step today at practice, and I, you know... I, I wouldn't think in a million years that moving to perhaps hockey's most difficult and most important position is going to, by in most situations, be the thing that completely rejuvenates a guy. But if one practice is anything to go by, I think he did recognize or has recognized the importance that he's going to be in. And there was that kick there. I saw the same thing. Um, 
I have a lot of time for Kyle Connor, Patrick Liney, and, and Mark Scheifele as a top line. I like the chemistry that Connor and Liney were starting to develop with Andrew Kopp, I would say, which was an interesting thing. And I can see the, re the, the reasoning to put Andrew Kopp with Adam Lowry. And okay, that's one check mark in Paul Maurice's mind. He doesn't have to change that. He's got a third line that he trusts. I can see that. Uh, so I can accept that logic that okay maybe he's not the second line center and honestly I agree with what you say about Jack Roslovic on the wing too I see him I see his ceiling as a top six offensive winger with two-way ability and an intelligence to his game but I've never really thought to myself so far that he's a he's he's shown excellence at the center position at the NHL level still He's a young guy. Uh, he might be a sensitive guy. He certainly, he's worn his emotions on his sleeve in a couple of press conferences recently. I wonder how it feels to be Jack Roslovic not getting that call right now. Yeah, so for me, I think it's the opposite. I think, it, again, it's a reinforcement of the confidence in how he's playing rather than not showing the confidence and moving him to center, though I'm the same way. I thought my initial thought would be, that would be my number one idea right now in terms of how to solve this problem if you will uh, I mean I'm still standing by the fact that I think that Blake Wheeler right now in a time when he was having some issues and difficulty I think putting him with Lowry and Kopp would be a brilliant coaching move but not right now with losing another center in Brian Little I guess and that's how Paul Maurice described it today when he was asked about it specifically uh, he thinks that that can be a dominant line but because you have those two-thirds of the pieces, that's not a line that really ever needs a boost, if you will. But it's interesting. I don't think that Rozovic will take this as a slight by any means. I know the other night I think he had a couple shifts at center in the third period. Uh, there were a couple times where Mike Sh Mark Scheifele was sent out to take the draw, and Rozovic maybe didn't get the shift he would have expected in terms of length because they got hemmed in a little bit defensively. I think this just allows him to focus on the things that he's doing good at right now or doing well with, if you will. Um, but for sure, I mean, it seems like a chance it was on a silver platter for him if they wanted to try it. And because of how confidently he's playing, I thought it might have been worth the try. But, I mean, I think it. Paul Maurice going to a veteran guy, I mean, this is this is from the playbook. I mean, he's going to a veteran guy who's done it before for an extended period of time at a point in the schedule where they're going to start seeing Central Division teams a little bit more. Uh, they have three games left on this important homestand after... I mean, I think they were probably fortunate to come out with a point against New Jersey. Yes, they battled back again, and it's not like they got dominated, and their defense was actually pretty good with the exception of the first goal where they sort of got lost in coverage on a kind of odd-angled backhand by Taylor Hall where he beat his guy to the net, and... Uh, Dmitry Kulikov just got caught kind of standing around instead of checking Nico Heischer. But I think this is a team that needs a bit of a jolt. And when you take your captain and your first-line winger away from that first-line position and move them to an important position at center, I think it sends a message to the entire group that A, Paul Maurice has confidence in him to handle the job, and B, that everyone's going to have to pick it up a notch in order to sort of survive and and stay in that wild card chase which for all of the things that you mentioned off the top about the Jets going through and we, we joked about it camp chaos being officially over well <laughs> that was only the beginning as it turned out in terms of the training camp issues have now sort of bled into the regular season and now there's been a number of 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 situations that have just been nothing short of bizarre I mean from guys getting hurt in practice to friendly fire to 
now Gabriel Bork is going to be out for a month. And, uh, I mean, it's just another one of the long lines of unfortunate events, if you will, the Jets have sort of had to endure. Uh, it's created opportunity once again. Uh, as, the, as the unofficial Finland correspondent, uh, <laughs> let's maybe shift gears to Jonah Lut- Luoto and uh, what this means for him. And, I mean, all signs will point to him making his NHL debut against the Canucks on Friday. Yeah, and Yono Luoto wasn't necessarily brought in for penalty killing. Uh, That was asked of Paul Maurice today. Uh, He wasn't brought in to be an offensive juggernaut because he he hasn't lit it up necessarily with the Manitoba Moose. And there are other players like Jansen Harkins, Player of the Week, I believe, with a huge performance over the weekend um, that have produced. But I think that what Paul Maurice is looking for right now is somebody who he can just trust to run the right routes, play a consistent kind of more or less mistake-free game than than anything. I don't think he's looking in for a world beater. And if Luoto does make his NHL debut, maybe six minutes, five minutes, I, I don't know what the over-under should be uh, to, to put on that. But certainly a big opportunity for, for the young Finn. Um, I think going forward that's kind of more or less the role that you would see him at if he is able to stick into the nhl uh, i think it's going to be about a certain amount of energy consistency yes coach run the straight line routes and i think that is a genuine strength for luoto i think that he can come in and if his training camp was any indication uh do exactly what's asked of him in in that i i want to go back to just how chaotic things are right now and there's there's a reference that i overuse uh, is the Simpsons baseball reference where something goes wrong to every single all-star player brought onto the Springfield Isotopes baseball team, and we've got the Buffalo situation, and we've got myocarditis, and we've got the little injury and Bork and all of this sort of stuff. There's a new reference that I'm going to try and I'm going to overuse if it works, and it's Alice in Wonderland running as fast as you can just to stay in the same place because I think that this year's Winnipeg Jets are trying so hard. I think that there is a genuine commitment to energy and effort. This whole staying in the fight business that they keep talking about, I think it's real. I I, I believe that I see that uh, through most shifts and that the compete is there and all of those sorts of things. And yet, because of the injuries, because of the absences, because of uh, an on-paper defense, which is not what it was a year ago, this 500 business and maybe even flattering 500 because at expected goals, they're, they're well below 50%. It has so much more to, to do with me, with, uh, with Connor Hellebuck's performance than, than anything else. So I think that the Jets are running as fast as they can just to end up sort of more or less in the same place. One of the guys they lost, Tyler Myers, coming back to town. We're going to see him right away tomorrow night playing for uh, the Vancouver Canucks. I want to plug the VanCast with Jeff Patterson and Thomas Drans. They're going to be talking about all sorts of things on that regard, including Tyler Myers as a first-pairing defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks. What have you seen from him or heard about him so far? Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, both of us didn't expect him to be back with the Jets just because of the financial commitment that was going to be required. We know that Tyler enjoyed his time here, but, I mean, at the same time, he was probably looking for a little bit of an inflated role. I mean, the ultimate irony is that if he had stuck around or if they had found the money for him to stick around he'd probably be playing on the top pairing with Josh Morrissey right now instead he's playing with Alex Edler the former Manitoba Moose he's playing almost 22 minutes a game Uh, I think he has four assists and he was brought in to sort of bring a little bit of stability to a back end that has some youth in it and I mean to his credit Tyler has done a nice job I mean there were some stretches where he played great for the Jets and other times where maybe he 
wasn't playing quite as well or maybe wasn't finding the role that was right for him and and everything else but I mean this is a guy who went into a new place place he was comfortable in and has done a nice job so it'll be interesting to see him come come back I know he'll get a warm welcome uh, he was a guy who was pretty popular in the community uh, and and with his teammates also I guess the the other thing we won't see him likely until after the game the Canucks are playing a back-to-back situation so there's not the regular morning skate or whatever but I would imagine that Tyler's quite enjoying himself right now uh, he's playing on a team that is kind of on the up and up they're right in the mix in the middle of the Pacific Division where most people saw them as more of a bubble team and yes the Pacific is so tight that one day you're fighting for first place and the next day you're on the bubble but I mean it's a young exciting team and and he's got to be having a great time right now I mean their team is playing quite well they're they got a lot of flash on offense and and they're playing well defensively which is which has been impressive and that was one of the areas the Canucks were looking at tightening up this year. And they've got great goaltending from Markstrom as well. But uh, Tyler's done his part. I mean, I know that some people didn't necessarily appreciate him and maybe as much around these parts. But uh, I think he's a guy that was always great to deal with. He was always one of the players who was available, thoughtful guy, and uh, worked his tail off. So, I mean, good to see him having success. One of the things that I always appreciated about him was just how how calm and decent he was in his interactions with me and with us whenever we would uh, interview him. He, he seemed to be one of those like sort of salt of the earth, calm, read the room type people, and and I definitely appreciated that. I, I think he was also at the heart of the "My Heart Will Go On" becoming the uh, the team song coming out of their Vegas trip a couple of years ago, um, and so you, you'd wish nothing but good things for the guy. Um, Patterson having just a freakishly dominant season offensively, um, an alien-esque season, one might say. Quinn Hughes being uh, a, a Calder candidate early on, I would say. Um, it's It should be a fun game to watch, and it should be a fun team to, to watch uh, to see how they sort those things out. Similar, but different. A guy who is always an absolute pleasure to deal with, in my opinion, Adam Lowry. Uh, one of a very short list of NHL players who has gone out of their way to start a conversation with how's your day going instead of just waiting for the uh, for the interview to begin, uh, and really you know with the with the Connolly Gamble story with what he does in the community all these sorts of things seems to be just a solid good salt of the earth human being, and all of a sudden in the last couple of weeks there are yet more violent <laughs> hits on the ice he's he's got uh, guys in unfortunate positions. I guess my question is, is there any correlation between off-ice demeanor and, and what a guy is on the ice? And, and are these hits, like, is Adam Lowry a dirty player? And I've just never noticed it because I like the guy. No, I, I don't think he's a dirty player. He's always played the game hard. I think he plays the game the right way. I think the, the hit on Shillington, there's an element of bad luck there because I think he anticipates Shillington turning up ice rather than turning his head and back towards the boards. I mean, the, he he saw numbers at the beginning, but I think the assumption was he was going to turn. And yeah, I mean, you could argue back and forth. I think that if that is called a major on the ice, he probably doesn't get suspended, if that makes any sense. But because it was a minor, and yes, he has some some history with with being a repeat offender with the stick swinging with Forsberg, and he did have the hit in the first year uh, as well with Patrick Coletta. But that incident was long enough in the in the backdrop that it, that wouldn't have impacted but it was the high stick last year on Forsberg which was the one-handed kind of accidentally unpurposed situation where you needed to be in a little bit more control of, of your stick but 
I know that some people thought that the tuck hit was the same as Shillington. It wasn't really the same at all. Tuck, it did happen in the same area of the ice in the in the offensive zone for the Jets. But for me there as well, Tuck put himself in a vulnerable position by being kind of leaned forward. And I think the most important part of that hit was the principal point of contact. There was some hip or shoulder contact before the head contact. So, I mean... There is some gray area when it comes to how the hits are viewed, but I don't think that that was a dirty play by any stretch of the imagination. Adam's a guy that finishes his check, and if if you're on the ice with him, you need to be aware of him being on the ice, especially if you're a defenseman getting chased down or if you're going into a, a corner with him because he hits with ferocity. And, I mean, not a lot of players in the National Hockey League can track and finish their checks the way that Lowry does. And... It's kind of becoming a bit of a lost art, if you will. Uh, but he's not a headhunter to me. I mean, even on the Shillington hit, you can argue whatever way you want. But if he had wanted to hurt Shillington, he follows through on the back of the helmet and jams his head in. Yes, his head does hit the glass, and it was unfortunate. And fortunately, Shillington was not hurt. But it, it was, if he wanted to, that hit could have been harder, If is was sort of what I'm trying to say. Uh, politely and delicately <laughs> so I mean the other part about Lowry that that's been surprising is he hasn't put up any offense yet I mean it's not from lack of generating and not from lack of zone time for me but for me in a time now we talk about Brian Little I think Adam Lowry is one of those guys that needs to pick up some of that offensive slack and again he's a guy who can be a double digit goal scorer and he can be a productive forward and, and his game stretches well beyond the points but I think that's another area where the Jets can sort of help pick up the slack if, if a guy like him, if him and Cop can get going offensively. I thought, I thought the other night. I mean, obviously Cop had the tip-in goal, but I thought their line sort of sparked a little bit of a momentum shift in that game with a really good cycle shift in the offensive zone before the Jets went on the power play, and then lo and behold, a couple minutes later, Cop got going with the tip-in. Yeah, I think that line was key to the comeback for sure, uh, in my opinion as well. It's, it brings to me the mind that um, that there's a difference between zone time, which the Jets will cite often, and it's something they track, and that's what they value if they can spend more time in the offensive zone. There's a difference between zone time and productive zone time, and that's why I like shot attempt metrics, or even better than that, expected goals metrics, which tries to add some shot quality to the mix as well, because... Um, you're going to see any line combination with with Cop and Lowry control zone time more often than not. They're they're not brilliant finishers, but they have some offensive jam to their game, and they'll go to the front of the net. Um, and there's a difference between cycling on the wall and making it to the slot and the net front and 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 those sorts of things. So one of the things that um, Micah McCurdy posted today was his heat map of Winnipeg Jets offense. Uh, for the entirety of the season. There was an issue, we don't need to get too much into it, with shot locations being tracked by the NHL that was fixed. So this is our first look at an accurate heat map or shot map for the Winnipeg Jets. And they have had such trouble getting to the net front, the low slot, the high slot for chances. It's uh, more trouble than they've had in any of the few years that I've seen. This is 2013 or 14 Winnipeg Jets heat maps in the offensive zone. So... Um, 
Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp, if they can get to that point where they're playing uh, in front of the net as well as on the boards. And if Blake Wheeler as a second-line center can find some chemistry there such that they're getting chances in the middle of the ice, I think that that's the next step for these Jets. They've been treading water at 5-on-5 defensively. They've kept a pretty clean defensive zone overall given the personnel. Uh, And now it's, I think, about tweaking and looking for offense, which is something that I don't know. I don't look at this team and think that you'd ever need to find offense with the guys that they have, with the power play being what it is, and with the fact that they're not getting shots from the center of the slot. I think that that's a concern and something to keep an eye on going forward. Um, one of the things that, to switch gears a little bit, you're listening to the boarding pass. This is Murata Tesh. We've got Ken Weeb right here. Uh, we've got the culture blitz at the Athletic right now. And one of the favorite, one of my favorite pieces I read so far was Sean Gordon talking about the NHL's best chirps and best chirpers. And of course, he, he starts with a bit of a focus on Brad Marchand, and he's talking about how as an 18-year-old, he went right at Chris Pronger, and he had to have uh, his teammates sort of calm him down. Uh, there's a story about Sean Avery trying to chirp Joe Sackick, and then Brett Hall putting his hand on his shoulder and saying, no, you do not speak to Mr. Sackick. And there's so much great stuff in there. It's across the website. That's one of my favorites that I've seen. Uh, Ken, have you dug, had, uh, there's so much content. Have you had a chance to dig into any of this stuff so far? No, not a, not as much as I'd like, but uh, I know that Katie Strang uh, has written a ton of great stuff out of it. I know uh, Mark Lazarus has something about group texts with the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, a couple of great things. And, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it's funny. I We don't see the Jets as, as a team that's as chirpy as maybe they once were, I guess. Uh, Dustin Bufflin was always, always that guy who sort of got the chirps going, especially when they played Chicago. He was always in the grill of Patrick Kane and, and Jonathan Taves and some of his old buddies. But it's interesting. I mean, the Jet, the persona around the Jet, the Jets used to be a chirpy team, but towards the men in stripes, their reputation was that they complained a lot about calls. And they've gotten away from that, which is probably to their benefit. And the other part about the Jets, they become a lot more disciplined. I mean, they're not taking a ton of penalties uh, I mean, maybe it's part of the constitute, you know, the way the roster's, you know, constructed. But uh, that's been a big change as well. But uh, the chirpy, there's not a lot of chirpiness with the with the Jets, uh, at least not that we've found so far this year. That would be that would be something that's probably why they weren't really mentioned as much in that in that article by Sean. <laughs> yeah, fair play. I, I'm thinking about Blake Wheeler being moved to center, and I asked Paul Maurice today as part of the big scrum, like, who are your best talkers? And I wasn't thinking from a chirping perspective, but just who's communicating loudly out on the ice. And I said defensively, uh, and he's. I, I thought that there was some hesitation in his voice. He he mentioned, okay, well now Morrissey and Pionk are they'll, they'll speak and communicate a little bit. Anthony Batetto, he made the joke that Anthony Batetto was talking all the time. Uh, Blake Wheeler joked about Jack Rosovic. He can't shut him up out there, apparently. And Maurice echoed the same thing. But to be honest, I took that like hint of hesitation, being like, there is a certain amount of loudmouth missing uh, from from the back end, especially right now. And I mean, Dustin Bufflin's absence is part of that. We dove into him at the Athletic this week and uh, did our best to outline all of the different contexts and outcomes and whether there's IR, LTIR, if they can negotiate a settlement outside of arbitration, if arbitration happens, if there are going to be cap penalties or cap space. It's a long... Somebody commented, Ken, that that we should have an awesome but also a confusing button because the Sega just... I think you're the first person I heard call it a Sega and it's just exactly that. It never ends, and the storylines around the Winnipeg Jets don't seem to calm down at all right now. 
Uh, this is the boarding pass with Ken Weeb and Murata Tesh. Make sure that you take time on Apple and Spotify to give us your listens, give us your ratings, review us, let us know what you think. Uh, and also subscribe to make sure that you can hear the next portion of the boarding pass at theathletic.com.